This is episode 37 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 37 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we sit down with Dale Alquist, president of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton and the author of The Apostle of Common Sense and Common Sense 101. We chat about Chesterton's 1930 visit to Notre Dame, his interdisciplinary approach to writing, and the meaning of The Man Who Was Thursday. Let's pop into the Marion Short Ethics Library for this week's conversation. Well, Dale Alquist, thank you very much for coming to be with us. A great pleasure, Ken. God bless you. <laughs> so tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you study? Those sorts of things. Well, I'm from the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, and uh, I did all my studying in Minnesota as well. Okay. Um, and of course, most of that studying is reading G.K. Chesterton. Uh, I still reside in Minnesota, but I uh, went to Carleton College uh, for my undergraduate and did a, a master's degree at Hamlin University in St. Paul. Okay, so you don't like traveling far from home except to preach the gospel. Exactly. Of G. K. I, I, I travel when I'm invited to speak somewhere. That's taken me all around the world. So I've been really and all around the country as well. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, so how did you come to discover uh, G. K. Chesterton? What what drew you to him? Well, I, I grew up as a Baptist, uh, evangelical, and very devout, and uh, certainly not one who was thinking about uh, that I'd be a Catholic lay evangelist one day, <laughs> you know, uh, on, on Mother Angelica's EWTN. That's not what I thought my life was going. Uh, yeah. But I was a big C.S. Lewis fan as a result of uh, being an evangelical and C.S. Lewis is important to evangelicals. He's kind of, he's their guy. Yeah. Uh, if C.S. Lewis said it, it must be right. You know, there's C.S. Lewis, there's Billy Graham, right? And uh, but we don't believe in the Pope, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I was reading a, a Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and someone said to me, "You like C.S. Lewis?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, I love C.S. Lewis." He said, "Well, have you ever read G.K. Chesterton?" I said, "I've never heard of G.K. Chesterton." And then he said something that's planted an important seed. He said, if you read G.K. Chesterton, you won't need to read C.S. Lewis because all of C.S. Lewis is in Chesterton. <gasps> well, this was a blasphemous remark in my, in my you know, regard, but I'll tell you, uh, it stuck with me. And uh, it wasn't until uh, three years later when I finally did pick up my first Chesterton book uh, and it was the book that was so influential on C.S. Lewis. It was The Everlasting Man. That was the mm -hmm. book that really shook C.S. Lewis out of atheism and you know, made, made him say that a young man who's serious about his atheism cannot be too careful about what he reads. You know? <laughs> right, so, right. so this is a, a book that changed C.S. Lewis's life. And I said, okay, that's the book I'm going to read. And it's, it's a tough first read, but it was one that certainly drew me in. Um, and I... I found a writer unlike any I'd ever encountered before because Chesterton really put it all together. In that book, he writes about history and philosophy and theology and literature and mythology 
and art and really, you know, anthropology as well. I mean, he just, he hits it all right. and he puts it all together. And I, I had never encountered anything so, so broad before. I just was used to very narrow theses and, uh, you know, one thought at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I realized I was encountering a great mind. And even though I didn't understand probably more than 10% of what I was reading, I certainly understood that this is someone I want to read more of. Sure. You know, I can't get enough of this. And I, that began, uh, you know, a, a great, a great friendship with G.K. Chesterton. His is kind of an interdisciplinary approach to, to questions, right? I mean, you, you've hinted at it there. You know, he writes about history. He writes about you know, current at his time, current uh, controversies, as he mm-hmm, might say, mm-hmm. um, you know, and for us as readers now, a hundred, 110 years later, sometimes that can be very difficult because we need the annotations. We don't know these, these names that he's throwing about and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Chester never, Chester was primarily a journalist. Okay. And, uh, and so he, th- he thinks that most of his writing is going to be uh, wrapped around fish the next day. <laughs> and, uh, and his books are written sort of in the same vein of his, uh, of his journalism. He's making local references. Sure. Uh, he, he doesn't imagine anyone, you know, in, in the next county is going to be reading it. Right. Uh, but, and his but, stories are yeah. going to be, or his pieces are going to be surrounded by the stories of which he's commenting right, on. Too, right, right. But having said that, you you can get past most of those references and completely grasp what he's talking about uh you know they they really are are just you know little pebbles on the road that you have to step to step around mm-hmm. to get the main argument because because when he makes his great points they are universal points and they're just beautifully stated he's just such a a master of the aphorism right. uh, that you know he's so quotable and those great quotations are not marred by local and uh, uh, re- references that are of time and place at all so yeah. that's where he becomes eternal wonderful Well, now, the University of Notre Dame has itself a long history with Chesterton, welcoming him to campus in the fall of 1930 to deliver two lecture series and even giving him an honorary doctorate. Now, I know you've been here while you've been on this visit. You've been uh, doing a bit of research in our rare books room and in our archives uh, there at the Hesburgh Library. Tell us what you found about uh, you've been kind of learning new things about his visit to campus. Yeah, it's actually my it's my third visit here to the campus and my also my third trip to the special collections uh, <laughs> as well. And my second trip to the archives. Yeah. And I, I did find some new things, which is just wonderful. I mean, one of the things I found was the uh, when Chester gave his very first lecture on campus, he was uh, introduced by President O'Donnell. And President O'Donnell said, this is the greatest man we've ever had lecture at Notre Dame. I mean, just without any qualifications, we are so privileged. This is the greatest person we've ever had come and and lecture at Notre Dame. Wow. So that was the high praise that they had for Chesterton at the time. Sure. And they, they, they were truly uh, amazed that they were able to, to get Chesterton to come. He was supposed to come earlier in the year and he was actually ill. Uh, He was supposed to come in the spring and they were going to give him the honorary doctorate at graduation. Right. Yeah. But um, he was ill. So they had to change his uh, his trip to the fall. And because he came in the fall, he was able to be here for the opening of the uh, of the football of stadium. Notre Dame Stadium, <laughs> right? Rock, Newt Rockney. So he and was everything. there to meet Newt Rockney, and yeah. when they introduced, uh, you know, Newt Rockney came, got up and gave a speech, and 
And uh, the Navy Admiral, who was the, the first game, was played with the Navy. And then President O'Donnell says, and I'd like to welcome our very special guest from England, G.K. Chesterton. And the whole stadium, you know, stands as one and cheers for G.K. Chesterton at the first game in the, in the Notre Dame football wow. stadium. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not two things that you put together in no. your mind nor, no. normally. But uh, what's interesting, though, is, is he got the honorary doctorate in the fall then, and that was the first time that Notre Dame ever bestowed uh, an honorary doctorate outside of commencement was when wow. they gave him the, the honorary doctorate. That's awesome. And it's from that visit, uh, we were talking about this uh, earlier on our way to lunch, that we get the great poem by G.K. Chesterton about that compares the, the, you know, the, the martyrdom of Christians to the game of football that he sees taking place before yeah, he, he, and Our Lady. Yeah, it's this bloodless battle that's going on. The, you know, the, he compares the arena. It's called the arena mm-hmm. and uh, comparing it with, with the, the Roman games that you know were, were, were killing Christians at the time, but this was bloodless. And this is in, a, in honor of not of Caesar, but of Our Lady. And, and he has the, the great line at the end, we who are about to live salute you. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to be linking to that in the show notes, definitely. Okay. <laughs> Such a beautiful poem. <laughs> well, now there's a further connection here at the university in that uh, our London Go- Global Gateway has just taken possession of the G.K. Chesterton Library, which contains his papers, books, personal effects, art, and other items that are related to his life. Uh, these are going to be made available to scholars and researchers who visit the, the London Global Gateway there on Trafalgar Square. Now, you um, know a little bit about this collection and, and about a tiny bit about its history. Maybe you can yeah, tell us about I, that. I certainly am familiar with it. Um, it was uh, mostly the work of uh, of a lifelong Chesterton scholar and collector over there named Mr. Aidan Mackey, who is still alive. He's ninety seven years old. I mean, he he knew people who knew Chesterton. Right. Uh, he was he, he he's a very much a living link to. Uh, to that uh, era, um, and and a, a wonderful gentleman. Besides, but you know, he he was building this collection for many many years, and the, always concerned about putting it in a place where it was uh, not only going to be safely kept, but also made available uh, mm-hmm. for for researchers and students. And uh, they had a pretty good location in in Oxford, and Oxford's a nice address, of course, to have a, mm-hmm. a Chesterton Library. And I, I actually was – I'm a, I'm a senior fellow of the Chesterton Library, a purely honorific title, but it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds right. good. Um, and um, the, the concern, however, was that the – it was uh, – the, the keepers of it were the uh, oratorians uh, of, uh, of Oxford, and they really were not able to um, provide the facility and the access to the collection that, that – was optimum, and so they decided to uh, to look to another institution to who would become the caretakers of the library. And they there was more than one institution that was interested uh, in doing so. Sure. And um, clearly, when uh, Notre Dame came along and and, and made its proposal, um, they were you know they were in competition with some other institutions. But what drew them, uh, I think, to Notre Dame and was that they really wanted to put this library in a very good setting that would not only uh, be a setting worthy of the collection, but also one that's accessible to the public. And it certainly didn't hurt that their location is right across the street from Trafalgar Square <laughs> right, in London. Right. So it's a terrific address. And I think there's there's really great excitement in in England for for the new home for the library over there. Now, do you know of some highlights of this collection? I mean... 
being yeah. a senior, uh, was it senior <laughs> fellow? Yes. Um, they have some of Chesterton's walking sticks. Uh, oh my gosh. The, the typewriter that was, uh, that his secretary, uh, typed, um, you know, the everlasting man and St. Thomas Aquinas was typed on that typewriter. Sure. Uh, lots of samples of his drawings and of books that he owned that have his, his interesting doodles in it. Um, the, uh, uh, it, it also, I think what's important is it has books. Uh, this is the footnote stuff. It has books that Chesterton refers to in his books. Okay. And this is really important for scholars because those books could have easily been lost uh, to us. But Aidan Mackey made a point of getting those books. And um, uh, and so now when, when Chester makes a reference to those, you can, you can actually get your hands on, on the book he's referring to. And it could be a very obscure book. Uh, you know, written by an obscure author, right. long yeah. out of print yeah. and yeah, destroyed exactly, all other exactly. So th- I think that's one of the uh, great importances of the library. I will say they also have uh, one other thing that is really quite important, and um, they have the only first class relic of Chesterton is is in the is in the library, and it's some of his hair. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. And that could become quite an item of. Uh, <laughs> Of importance because of the next question you're going to ask. <laughs> How did you know? Well, so yes, recently uh, there has been some discussion about the cause for Chesterton's sainthood. Now, without getting too much into the details of the of the process, um, sell me on the virtues of G.K. Chesterton. Uh, why should we consider him among the saints? Why should we raise him to the honor of the altar? Um, that's a great question, and I'm. Uh, you know, I have uh, I have been thinking for a long time that Chesterton uh, deserves to be raised to the altar and should be a saint. He he's the one who's responsible for bringing me to the Catholic Church, as he's done with hundreds and maybe even thousands of others. As I've I've continued to collect stories. In fact, I I just edited a, a book of conversion stories called My Name Is Lazarus, all of whom Chesterton played a role in their conversion. It was the one who paved their their path to Rome and wow. David Fagerberg, uh, uh, professor, professor here, at, here uh, sure. yeah, he's he's in that book and he he wrote a chapter for it. Wow. But there's former Jews, Muslims, atheists, uh, all different stripes of Protestants, and they all have a slightly different story. But Chesterton connected with them in some way and brought them uh, into the fullness of of the faith of the Catholic Church and. That you know cannot be ignored. That role that he's played, right? And it's not—they're not drawn because of some argument that he's made. They're drawn by his goodness. Mm. He points to the truth, and he—and people see what he's pointing to because he expresses the beauty of that truth so well. Uh, so that's one of the main arguments I think that that absolutely has to be dealt with. The fact that Chesterton is bringing people into the into the Catholic Church, and and. You know, you think of who the great saints of the 20th century are. You think right away of Mother Teresa and St. John Paul too. They are dynamos. They are giants of the faith. But you know what? They are not, in general, a cause for conversion. They're not the reason people become Catholics. They are an inspiration to Catholics and to non-Catholics. But Chesterton is a tool of conversion. And Chesterton says that the age is often converted by the saint who contradicts it the most. Mm-hmm. And he is very much the, the guy who's contradicting the age that we live in. So, so that's part of it. But the obvious, there's, this, there's other evidences of goodness. And I'm happy to say that in my research, 
yesterday in the special collections, I just found a lot of neat things uh, quickly. Uh, a writer named R. Scott James, who knew Chesterton, says that Chesterton was as near perfection as fallible human nature is capable of. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Edward Shanks, uh, another contemporary writer of Chesterton, said there was something saint-like about him. He had this pity for the poor. He had this great magnanimity, and he was always willing to help other people no matter what they needed. And uh, another guy who... Uh, who knew him from child from his own childhood, said that what was amazing about Chester is how he could maintain his work while he was giving his head and heart in service to those around him. And you think about how much he wrote. This is one of the most prolific writers who ever lived. Just you, you can't even comprehend how much he wrote. And yet he still was able, in spite of that amazing literary output, to give himself to others. And then there was an article by a Jesuit who was about, this is about two years after Chesterton's death, maybe even less, says, you know, the Catholic Church probably is not going to canonize Chesterton, but I think they should. I think Chesterton should be canonized. In fact, I think he should be a doctor of the church. And this was a Jesuit writing less than two years after Chesterton's death. Wow. So there was talk about his goodness and his heroic virtue right away after his death. What never happened was there was never a cult formed, but that cult has been formed since. <laughs> <laughs> so now that's what you've spent your, you know, essentially your professional life kind of promoting. I mean, you had a show on EWTN, The Apostle of Common Sense. <laughs> uh, not not you, but uh, Chesterton was, right. was the, the, the goal. Um, I mean, you talk to me about this cult. Talk to me about, you know, what have you seen in your own experience traveling the world? Yeah, I've you know I've been watching how Chesterton changes people's lives. Um, how when people start reading him, they are transformed for the good, and he because he, he he does make you think about what's important. But uh, the great appeal of him as a writer is that he does write about everything, uh, and uh, it's people connect to him for all kinds of different reasons. And I think that's that's what's so amazing. If you're writing about economics and social justice, Chesterton is way out in front of everybody else in that regard. Uh, but if you're writing just classic apologetics, you know, where did C.S. Lewis get all his arguments? He got them from G.K. Chesterton. Right. They are there. But then he illuminates the lives of the saints like St. Francis and St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, Fulton Sheen, who's about to be uh, beatified, said the writer who influenced him the most was G.K. Chesterton. You know what wow. I found in the special collections yesterday, Ken? No. I found a photograph of Fulton Sheen at Chesterton's funeral in 1936. Wow. Yeah. He traveled to London for it. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> I got to see that. It's in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after. <laughs> um what about for the absolute novice, the person who has never read Chesterton? Uh, where's a good starting point for them? What essays or books or poems, what, what can they read to get a taste and, and see, is Gilbert for me? Well, you know, this is a question I, I didn't used to like to answer because I was never content with the answer that I gave because every time I suggested one book, I always thought this is a good book to start with, especially after you've read this other one before that one. So then what I did, Ken, was I wrote a book. Ah. I wrote a book to introduce people to Chesterton. Well. 
and uh, that's called the Apostle of Common Sense. Mm-hmm. But you know how, you know, when you really want to sell someone on something, you don't just send one limo to pick them up. You send two in case the first one doesn't arrive, right? <laughs> so I wrote another book called Common Sense 101, Lessons from G.K. Chesterton. I say that both those books or either one is an excellent way to open the door and get people into Chesterton. They're unintimidating. Uh, I, I draw on lots of different material and just talk about the main things he talks about. And that those are the two primers. So okay. Common Sense uh, 101, Lessons from Chesterton, and The Apostle of Common Sense. Wonderful. Um, do you have favorite books? Uh, uh, favorite books of, of of Chesterton's of Chesterton. I know it's. I know. I it's, I'm asking you to choose your favorite child. Essentially, I know, yes, but, you are. And but, uh, I I could tell you, you know, who my favorite child is, and that could give me a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, so I really, you know, I know that Orthodoxy is, you know, an essential book for me. That is always going to be the book you come back to. But uh, you know, his books on the on the saints are mm-hmm. so important. His book on Charles Dickens is so important. Everlasting Man, the first one I started with. You know, when you reread a Chesterton book, you're always going to get more out of it. But you know, I have to say, Chesterton, you know, made his living as a journalist and, and, and writing these essays. And I, I just enjoy writing, reading a a daily essay from G.K. Chesterton. I think he's just the master essayist, and uh, that's kind of my bread and butter is is reading the the daily essay. And you said there's something like 6,000 of these. Yeah, it's just astonishing. That's a lot. Just of, astonishing. What was his, what was his daily uh, kind of work yeah. like? Well, you know, he, he had a secretary and he dictated his essays to her. But one of the great astonishments um, to tell you about his mind is he could actually write an essay in longhand while he's dictating a different essay to his secretary. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's insane. Yeah, it is insane. But it explains why he's so prolific. Because if you're writing two things at once, you can get a lot written. That's true. Yeah, and and so you know he he was always writing. He's always, part of his day was always spent writing. And the fact that he could keep churning these things out, even if he was traveling, if he was lecturing somewhere, uh, he he did some of his best writings in a pub or in a railway station while he's waiting for a train. Yeah, uh, there's there's a great story of him sitting in the pub laughing and and. Uh, uh, the the waiter telling someone else who came to get him, is that your friend over there? He write and he laugh and he write and he laugh. <laughs> Entertained by yeah. both what he's own writing and he, yeah. and also distilling what he's and absolutely. He says, you know, it's, he says it's a, it's arrogant not to laugh at your own jokes. You know, <laughs> he, he said, can't an architect pray in his own cathedral? <laughs> <laughs> that is glorious. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, one of my favorite books that I've read, and I've read multiple times, is The Man Who Was Thursday. And this is, I mean, I don't need to tell you, but its it almost defies description. It's a mystery novel. It's a detective novel. It's a reflection on the problem of suffering. It's um, a reflection on the little signs of God that we see spread throughout the world that point to him but don't explain him. And yet the more I read it, the more almost confused of although i have to say this he you know when he has the chase scene how does somebody write a chase scene that is more vivid than seeing it on film <laughs> which i guess is a good thing because it's never i mean it's never really been made into film no. i understand in 2016 there was a hungarian attempt but we've never seen it on the big screen we've never even seen it on the small screen 
this is a wacky story. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 movie that was made called The Man Who Was Thursday uh, d- doesn't have anything to do with the with the novel, so don't <laughs> right. don't uh, you be distracted by that. But yeah, you are right. The chase scene, um, if you saw it, it would be less vivid because your imagination's working so hard trying to picture each one of those scenes. You know, the 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 guy riding the elephant and everything. Uh, yeah. Just an amazing uh, 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 set of imagery. Well, it's it's interesting. You should say the more you read it, the the less convinced you are that you know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but yet, everything you said about it can show that you understand. You know what the elements are in the book. Um, so now you understand. I Chester says to give away the end of a of a mystery is is one of the the worst sins you could ever commit. Right. Um, he says, the people who give away the end of the mystery belong on the lowest level of hell <laughs> with Brutus and Judas and the other, right. uh, uh, you know, Where betrayers. Cold, right, not right, hot, right. Not to give away the yeah, ending. Yeah, right, not to give away the ending. <laughs> but so so I'm I'm just telling you this. I'm not telling any of your listeners this, you, okay? You, spoiler alert, kids. Turn yeah. off the podcast right, right now. Right, Yeah. So uh, you talked about the mystery of suffering. The book itself is a retelling of the book of Job. And the main character, Gabriel Syme, is Job. And he's the one who uh, who watches his world coming apart around him. Remember, the subtitle of the book is A Nightmare. Mm-hmm. And everything in a nightmare just seems out of your control and seems bizarre. And, you know, as readers, we're following things, and we're forgetting how bizarre it must look to Gabriel Syme because it's we're at least following the narrative. But imagine what it is from his point of view, how people keep ripping their faces off and there's someone right. else. And, right. uh, yeah. and everything is changing. And then, of course, the guy who seems to be the, the good guy is the bad guy is the good guy. Right, right. <laughs> there's the, that whole thing. And at the very end, there's here's I'm saying, you know, Why'd we go through all this? Isn't that what Job is asking God? Mm-hmm. And when when God finally appears to Job, does God answer any of Job's questions? The answer is no, he doesn't. He says, hey, Job, you've asked your questions. Now I'm going to ask my questions. And here's my first question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And have you ever really looked at the, the world that I've made? Have you ever looked at creation? Have you ever looked at Leviathan? Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked at Behemoth? Aren't they the most amazing things you've ever seen? <laughs> and doesn't he just starts asking Job to contemplate creation when when uh, when the morning stars sang together and uh, a line that Chesterton repeats throughout all of his writings. Uh, clearly, Job is the book of the Bible for him. Yeah. And so uh, here is um, Gabriel Syme thinking, well, maybe um, maybe I didn't go through such a big thing. But then here along comes the adversary at the end, mm-hmm. whose name happens to sound like Lucifer, Lucian, mm-hmm. and says, you know, you guys really haven't suffered at all. You haven't really been through it. He goes, hey, we, wait, we've suffered. I have suffered. And then, of course, Sunday looks at him and says, can you drink the cup that I yeah. drink of? And he, the only answer he gives is a question, just like the only answer God gives Job is a question. And he, it's the only direct quotation of Scripture. And so book. now you've been, you think you've been through it, follow me, and now you really go through it. Right. Yeah. 
And there's the there's the riddle of suffering retold once again by G.K. Chesterton, and uh, uh, that is that that's the eternal riddle that that uh, that we're always trying to solve in all the literature that we read, right? <laughs> Well, now you've just made me want to read the book again. I hope so. I want to read it again myself. <laughs> well, Dale, this has been a delightful chat. Thank you so much for coming in. And uh, so the talk that you're going to be giving here, uh, which will be now in the past by the time our listeners hear this, that will be up on our YouTube channel. And so they'll be able to hear what you have to say about uh, the critic's critic, G.K. Chesterton on God and literature. I would certainly encourage people to go to our website at chesterton.org for more information on Chesterton. And if they want to join the Chesterton Society, they can get Gilbert Magazine and uh, discounts on the books that we sell and, and, and that we publish. But uh, there's lots of good reasons to make Chesterton your friend. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. God bless. Thank you to Dale Alquist. You will find links to the poem, The Arena, and to Dale's recommended books about Chesterton in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is, I don't know, by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Good decisions.